Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Here we go. It has been a big week for the Houston Astros, and it's been a big week for Bleacher Blums. We've got plenty of topics on the shelf for you to talk about, but the biggest thing is, is happy clinch day, Astros fans. We will get to that in our Astros segment of this podcast for Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum, the current Master of Banter, like you just heard, for the Houston Astros and co-creator and co-host of Bleacher Blum's podcast. Things have been rolling along. I know that we have been, it's been a week. I know we promised a little bit more, but things are starting to wind down. Obviously, it's been a big week for me uh, working with the Houston Astros. We've had about three or four clinch scenarios leading up to the one that finally happened for the Houston Astros. So congratulations to the Houston Astros organization. Congratulations to the Houston Astro fans. You have now clinched your third straight Western Division title in the American League. They have dominated since moving over to the American League West in 2013. So good times ahead for the Houston Astros. We will touch on that coming up in our Astros segment because I want to get Tuttle's thoughts on that. It's been a historical week, been a historical season all, all the way around for the Houston Astros. We'll touch on that a little bit later a lot of awards coming up. We are winding down the baseball season, but for the time being, it's a big week for David Tuttle. And you've had a good week yourself because I believe that you were representing Bleacher Blums at a Iron Maiden concert. I couldn't be more proud to be your friend right now than I ever have been, man. How's it going? It's going great. I did represent Bleacher Blums at the Iron Maiden concert. I had a t-shirt on and I wasn't in the front row, but uh, I should have I should have taken some photos from posterity. It's not like we don't have a camera on us at all times, but <laughs> the problem is, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, I don't think our listeners are the same people that I ran into at the Iron Maiden concert, even though I was a fan in high school, is that there were a lot of interesting people at the Iron Maiden concert. I got to figure out a politically correct way to say this, but not a lot of people you wanted to take a photo with. So I was, I will say that Bruce Dickinson, he must be 65 now. That guy is not going to retire anytime soon. That guy was awesome. Anybody that is a fan of Iron Maiden will remember, but even if you're not, a lot of their songs are really good long stories. They're six to 12 minute songs, similar to kind of going to a Metallica concert where they have, you know, they stretch everything out, a lot of instrumentals and a lot of storytelling and everybody has their, when you go to a rock concert, the short, fast, like headbanging songs, but man. Iron Maiden was great. Every every song was a story. They brought in the airplane. They had, anyway, it was a lot of fun for an old man like myself. Kind of brought me back to my youth. No, I think that's what's great. And I'm not sure this, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think, so we're seeing a lot of these reunion tours. My wife just went to MC Hammers, you know, a year and a half ago. I think we had everybody out in Houston. We went to go see Salt and Peppa. I saw Motley Crue's final concert at the Staples Center. A lot of these great bands from the 80s and 90s that we kind of made fun of for being hair bands or being these headbangers or speed metal, whatever you want to call it. But there was a lot of really good, interesting music that has kind of led into the generations that we're in now. And now we're starting to see Tuttles in my generation, you know, guys in their 40s who are trying to reconnect with you know that high school tape deck that we had or that mixtape that we had in the in the tape deck to as we were going to high school and getting pumped up to go to our high school baseball games a lot of those bands are having these reunion tours and it is amazing to me that Bruce Dickinson can he still hit those high notes even I don't even know I mean they were unbelievable epic tunes that they had can he still hit those tunes he can I, I think the one thing that should change and I'm just gonna take a left turn here a little bit is the attire like these guys they're getting a little wrinkly and saggy but they're still wearing the sleeveless shirts with the leather pants it's like you know I like the music and honestly it isn't about it's not about kind of reliving your glory days. It's really about kind of getting into the music. And these guys, honestly, like as we know from baseball and athletics, you always want a couple of guys on your team that have experience. You want those 10, 12-year guys that have all the stories and kind of are smart about things, you know, maybe see guys tipping pitches. These guys are so skilled at what they do. They played the song so many times that they just, they're really at the top of their game. I just need them to change their maybe their angle on their attire, you know, the hair still goes to the mid back and they got earrings and 
the sweatbands on and the sleeveless shirts, but it's just kind of like, I guess it's not all it's cracked up to be. But as far as a reunion tour, I'm sure there's money to be made. And I really, and I think we all do this, right? They talk about it with movie theater and the movies, the willing suspension of disbelief. If you can go there, close your eyes, get into the music, takes you back a couple of years. And we can all, we all hope to be a little bit younger and a little bit spryer in our, in our old age. I had a really good time. And like I said, I was representing the Bleacher Blums podcast there. The other thing that I want to put out is my buddy's six foot two. I'm six foot two or six foot three. It is awesome to stand. We had seats on the floor, but right behind the pit. And I could just see right to the stage. I love it. There's not there are not too many six foot three guys standing down there in the pit. So I always appreciate that as well. No, there there is a certain beauty to being that six foot three, six foot four. I'm with you on that of being able to see everything and be seen. What I was gonna get at, yeah, they need to adjust. You know, it's great. We're there for the music. We're not there for what you're wearing. You know, it was cool back in the day, but it is a game of adjustments, and you've got to say, okay. This part is falling out of here. Let's just tighten it up a little bit. We can be updated in our attire and we can be retro in our music. So we're there for the music when we have these reunion tours. And what I wanted to ask you and maybe tick off a little bit, people, maybe the younger generation that's listening, but these reunion tours, I feel, are happening because you and I, we don't relate to the current rap situation. We don't relate to the current rock situation. So a lot of these guys are really doing a good job of monetizing the reunion and bringing us back to our youth by having these reunion tours because of the current music situation. Yeah, right. Supply and demand. I think that's basic economics and basic kind of math. In, in general, they realize that there is a kind of a gaping hole in there. And I think Obviously, the the landscape of music has changed. We don't have to get into that on the podcast. But with Apple Music, a lot of people don't even buy the albums anymore. It's like, oh, I want to hear that song. I want to hear that song. So it's very kind of top 10, top 20 songs. I watch my kids and they just kind of jump around the channel and they like this song and this artist and this song and this artist. I still try and purchase albums. My latest album is Greta Van Fleet. I might go see them in concert. They sound like a combination of Rush and Led Zeppelin and they're a new, new group. They've been on Saturday Night Live a few times, but they're... They, they have a listen through album. So there are a few bands that sneak in there. You know, as, as our schedule gets busier and time goes and you're kind of listening, as you know, with four girls, like I rarely get control of my radio in my car. I mean, it's kind of like I should just put in my earplugs and let it go, but I rarely have control of it. So when I do get control of the music, I like to listen to good music. Yeah, good music is fun. Also good podcast. I feel like everybody's kind of moving towards that information kind of, you know, society where they want to get those podcasts, be entertained with words as opposed to actually some of this music that is going on. So we appreciate that. And that's kind of why we jumped on too. supply and demand. Let's jump out there and put our voices out there. And it's been a great return for us. It's also been an interesting week as far as Houstonians are concerned, because the national media really didn't cover it as much as they did in 2017, but we had an, another flood event in Houston that was remarkably close to what happened with Hurricane Harvey. There's been five events in the state of Texas that have recorded these massive water totals. Hurricane Harvey was number one, and this current, I think it was uh, Imelda, that came through surprisingly and caught Houstonians off guard a little bit and created a lot of flooding in North and East Houston. And just want to reach out to everybody who's listening in those affected areas. Just know that we are thinking about you. I know the Houston media covered it greatly. And there were some great stories about it. People jumping out of their vehicles to save other people and things like that. So just know that Tuttle and I are thinking about you here on the third coast as you are trying to recover from a lot of that. And know that we recognize the greatness of Houston. And I think that might be why the national media kind of pulled back from it a little bit or took it for granted, so to speak. because. In Harvey, we got to see everybody in Houston kind of help each other. And that's probably been the beauty of what Houstonians do is that we are not afraid to jump out of our vehicles or run down the street and help another Houstonian. And it kind of got overlooked, but it hasn't been overlooked by the Bleacher Blums podcast. We like to think of everybody uh, who is out there affected by this flooding and is listening to this podcast. We are thinking about you. You're in our thoughts. You're in our prayers. We hope you recover. And a lot of people reached out on my Twitter and kind of said, hey, there's some remarkable similarities between 2017 and 2019 between the flooding and the Houston Astros and what they've been able to do. The last time that Houston got flooded, it ended up being a world championship. So we kind of hope that all of that kind of goes together and leads into what can be a remarkable postseason run, considering that the Astros have clinched 
I know that Tuttle hasn't seen too much about it as far as Houston is concerned, but did you see any of the flooding and stuff like that? Well, let, let's tie it to the podcast. So we talk about left coast, third coast, but I think what's interesting is we're talking about Jordan Alvarez and maybe Bregman out here. Obviously, we hear a lot about Trout, but I think the same thing happened in terms of, I mean, unless it's classified as a hurricane or a flood, we certainly didn't get a whole lot of, of information and they didn't, obviously I don't think they canceled any games. Did they cancel or postpone any games? Yeah. So if they canceled a game or postponed a game, I think we would have heard more about it. Yeah. I didn't, we didn't hear a whole lot about it. And I think that just kind of goes to, I don't know, we should focus on, that'd be a whole nother podcast, but focus on the media that we end up being privy to and what people Mm -hmm. kind of tell us because we can get in this situation fairly easy where oh, no, I didn't hear about that, or I only heard about this. And, you know, Trump's on every day on Twitter saying things, and people make a big deal about certain things. This is obviously a big deal. I I just, I draw the parallel to what we were talking about before, about the odds of Bregman winning the MVP and and or uh, Jordan winning the Rookie of the Year. I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion, as we said, but we don't hear about it on ESPN every night, and we certainly didn't hear about the Imelda that wasn't Harvey. Yeah, it's a little disheartening, I guess. But hopefully, like you said, on this podcast, we're certainly aware of it. The people I follow on Twitter shared some of those things with me. And as always, our thoughts and prayers go out to folks that are affected by that. Awesome. And you can get to Tuttle on Twitter and Instagram at Real David Tuttle. You can get to myself at Blummer27 on both Twitter and Instagram. And also remember, we've gotten some pretty good feedback on our website. It's gradually growing. I know that when the season ends, I'll be a little more engaged. Tuttle's been doing a great job helping out with the website. We have it up at bleacherblums.com. We've got a mailbag you guys are able to get at us on. If you want to email us some questions, shout outs, conversation topics that you want us to hit on, you can also get to links to the podcast on various different forms. And you can also find out a little bit more about David Tuttle himself, see what he looks like, read his little bit of a bio that he's got going on there and see his background. And you can figure out more about myself. We also have a little bit of a shop starting up. There's some t-shirts on there as we head into the postseason. We're going to try and do a little bit more with that. But we are going to move on a little bit. And I think we've got a quick read from Crush City from Tuttle, the guys who help us out with our t-shirts and help us out with our website. Just to touch on what you said, the Mailbag Monday, we do have a question from that. And we got a couple this week and I just singled one out. I'll do the read and then we can ask the question. I'll let you tee it up. So John Abel G asked about our most memorable game. So let me do the read and you can think about your most memorable game when you were a player. We know that Crush City Tees was the provider for the Bleacher Blums t-shirts initially and now we're on bleacherblums.com they're still doing the t-shirts for us he has added a code for free shipping it's the same code as manscaped it's blums b-l-u-m-s blums for free shipping and what we're going to tee up here is during the playoffs as jeff gets more time as blummer gets more time we're going to have a potential instagram contest during the playoffs where you can win a little package maybe a koozie and a sticker and a t-shirt for retweeting and re-Instagramming some of the things that we're doing there. So again, go to CrushCityTees.com to get your Crush City Tees. He is the provider of the t-shirts for the Bleacher Blums podcast. Use the code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, for free shipping and watch out for the potential Instagram contest. So Jeff, as I mentioned, John G sent in a question that asked about our most memorable game in baseball. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I'm not going to speak to the obvious answer to that question for myself, having played in the major leagues for 14 years and having some postseason experience, most notably in 2005. We'll leave October 27th to myself and I won't uh, have to explain that anymore because I know Houstonians and Houston Astro fans know about that one all too well. For me as a fan, the most memorable one for me was Game 5 of 2017 in the World Series between the Dodgers and Astros at Minute Maid Park. A wide range of emotions, a long game, a back-and-forth game that was eventually won by Alex Bregman driving in Derek Fisher to finish off that Game 5 of the World Series. And obviously the Astros go on to win that 2017 World Series. So that as a fan is my most memorable, and I think a lot of current Astro fans can relate to that one. But if I had to go back to a player, it'd be a little bit of a tie between 2007 game 163 as a Padre against the Colorado Rockies, where I don't believe Matt Holliday has touched home plate yet, but no instant replay to go back and play that game again. So it was a loss, but playing in front of about 50,000 rabid Colorado Rocky fans was awesome. Could literally feel the earth move as each hit was, was going on and each play was being made. So that was a lot of fun. But uh, my most memorable as a player, 
other than the 2005 World Series for me was 2003 opening day. It was the first time I had the opportunity to be on the field as an opening day starter. I was playing third base for the Astros. We were playing the Colorado Rockies, ironically enough. And I think it was about my third or fourth at bat. Dan Maselli comes in and pipes a fastball about maybe chest high. And I just absolutely hammer it into the Astros bullpen for my first home run of the season. And it being opening day, it was a packed house. So that was probably one of the most memorable hits of my career was opening day lineup and hitting a home run in front of the Houston faithful on opening day of 2003. What do you got, Tuttle? Well, I've got two. It's interesting because you mentioned uh, your number one game as a, as a fan, and I hadn't thought of that. But my first, well, not my first baseball game, but I grew up in Connecticut. My dad was working at IBM, and we lived right outside of New York. And a friend of mine took me to the 1981 World Series. He picked us up at our house in a nice car, a town car, and we went to the World Series. And it was, I think, three games to one Dodgers. And the whole place is full of Yankees fans. I'm not a Yankees fan or a Dodgers fan, but I could root for the underdog. And in Yankee Stadium with crazy New York fans, the Dodgers won the World Series. Game five, I believe, at the game I was at. That was like the first baseball game I remember. Well, second or third baseball game I actually remember. The first few went were at Candlestick Park. But boy, getting to go to the World Series was when I was 11 years old, was it was awesome. So I remember that really well. And I thought it was amazing how quiet the stadium got to watch the Dodgers mob the mound in Yankee Stadium. And it was silent. That'll always stick with me. And then as a player, uh, we've talked about Team USA not being a a major league veteran like yourself. Uh, Team USA was a good chance to play with quite a few big leaguers. And at that time, I thought of myself as a potential big leaguer. So Giambi was on that team, Phil Nevin, Charles Johnson, Jeff Hammonds, a bunch of guys on that team. And we flew down to Cuba, Havana, Cuba for the Pan American Games. And the first, so we kind of played a a round robin, but the third game down there, we were 2-0 and Cuba was 2-0, was against the Cuban national team in front of about 67,000 people. Holy cow. Like that's that's eye-opening. You talk to athletes about, oh no, I'm just out there playing my game. I block out the sounds and I'm blocking out the surroundings. That was really tough to block out. And typically like here in the US too, there's a little buzz between innings, but then when the inning starts, it quiets down again, right? And if a guy gets a hit, there's a cheer. If a guy strikes a guy out, there's a cheer. When they were batting and you, we were in, in the field, the place was nuts. It was nuts. It never quieted down. There was a drum section. You guys talk about Oakland with that drum. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They had like four drum sections, some trumpets, I believe, in there somewhere. It was a, an experience, obviously, I'll never forget. And, and the key piece of that was the national anthem prior. Being down in Havana, you know, hand on your heart, and they have the American flag, and they sing the national anthem. And I'm sure you felt this on some of your tour, like you guys went to Japan or things like that. But you... You rarely feel such national pride, but playing for your your country was a was a unique experience as well. So that specific game, that first game was something I'll never forget. So I appreciate John G for the question. We have some thoughts about that. That's awesome stuff. And that's what's kind of cool about this podcast too. As much experience as I have, I don't have the same experience as David Tuttle has playing for his country and showing some of that national pride. So that's a great story to hear. I appreciate the heck out of that Tuttle. And we, you know, every once in a while we talk about doing tales from the bench when things get a little bit slow, maybe in the off season, that'd be something that you're able to maybe write down, get some deep thoughts about and remember some of the moments and some of the characters that were on that ball club, because we did play with some of the similar guys. There is that six degrees of separation between Tuttle and I and some of the guys we played generationally, but it'd be a lot of fun to go back and think about that because you're right. It's one thing to play and have that national pride. It's another thing to go into a foreign country and play on their home turf and understand their pride, but also at the same time, in a small way, I would imagine that you kind of bow up and chest up as that anthem's being played and you've got that USA written across your chest. That's something I never got to experience, so I appreciate the heck out of that, Tuttle, telling that story, and I'm sure a lot of our fans will too, man. But speaking of a lot of pride, we are going to move on from that story into something that we just talked about at the top of the podcast. It's the Astros. They clinched with a big win over the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and clinched their third straight American League West division title. A little bit of history on that. That is the third straight 100-plus win for the Houston Astros. They are now the sixth team ever to do that in the history of the game of baseball. Just to try and put things in perspective, I know the ultimate goal is to go out there and win the World Series, 
But for the time being, we need to appreciate the historic run these guys are on. They are in historically great team statistically, but now they have the win totals to back that up. The last team to go out there and do that, I believe, was the New York Yankees. Before them, it was the Atlanta Braves. So some teams that we watched and I got to play against. So I have a whole new appreciation for what the Astros are doing, having played against the Braves in the late 90s and against the New York Yankees in the in the early 2000s when they were able to go out there and do that. So some pretty special stuff going on. I also want to hit on are some of the playoff dates. The National League wild card is October 1st. The American League wild card is October 2nd. And these are the dates you want to remember. October 4th and 5th are game one and game two of the American League Division Series. October 4th is a big day for all baseball fans because that will be a four-game day. You're going to have two ALDSs. You're going to have two NLDSs. And then on October 5th, you're going to have both ALDS games. So October 4th and 5th are big for the American League. October 3rd, both National League Division Series will start up. And again, Tuttle and I will get on our phone calls and we will try and figure out. I'm not sure if I'm too excited about doing a wild card matchup. It's a one-game plan. I'm not, I mean, predictions go out the window and you just kind of play your ass off and see who's going to win that game. So maybe after that, we'll do a little more of a division series preview. I don't know. How do you feel about the wild card Tuttle as a whole? Like I said, I kind of think as a fan now, I've been out of the game for so long. I feel like the playoffs really start when we know who's playing. Uh, I, I do watch those games if I have the chance to because they're kind of exciting, the win and you're in kind of thing. But that's not really what baseball is about. We continue to talk about old school versus new school. I'm an old school, like grind it out. It's a long season, a seven game series, those kind of things. A one and done is just can be a team can win on a fluke. And typically, if that team's not legitimate and they're not supposed to be there anyway, then they're going to get washed away in the division series. I think I like the wild card for the excitement it creates on some teams and they really get excited to get in there. But if they're just going to be out in three or four games anyway, then it's not really the direction baseball needs to be going in terms of keeping those teams around. Yeah. The only thing I do like about it is, you know, now being on the broadcast side is it does create a storyline and it creates an excitement around that ball club that necessarily otherwise would just be like Tuttle said, washed out of a division race. But uh, I do like the idea that, you know, later in the season, a certain city can latch on to a wild card spot and engage their fans a little bit more and keep them engaged and keep them cheering and hoping that they have a possibility of playing in. And then you do get to that one game play and you're in type situation where you get guys who can maybe try, you know, throw their aces out there, but it seems like everybody throws everything in the kitchen sink at them to try and get in that division series. And sometimes that can backfire a little bit and create a quick ALDS or NLDS. The other thing I will say from an excitement standpoint is we haven't had a lot of like 78, 80 win teams sneaking in here. I mean, this is like the cream rises to the top. And so if we're talking about Oakland, Tampa Bay, and Cleveland. I mean, any of those teams can get in and win. So maybe just to backtrack a little bit from what I said, those teams are 90 win teams, 95 win teams. They're not horrible, but I will say that the old school mentality is still there. This is a grinded out long-term game and having that one game play in, anybody can win that game. And typically, as you said, those teams try everything they can to win that one game and they may be a little spent for a five-game series against a 100-win, 105-win team. As long as it, like you said, keeps that city engaged and the fan base engaged, then maybe there's a benefit there. But typically, obviously, those teams don't come out of there and, and get into the World Series. Yeah, playoffs are upon us, and it's also the end of the year where we can start talking about rookies of the year, Cy Youngs, MVPs, managers of the year, executive of the Never mind. I'm not going to get to executive of the year. <laughs> That's for somebody else to decide. Broadcasters. Broadcasters of the year. Ooh, now you're on to something, Tuttle. I like that idea. But we know the rookie of the year in the American League. And these are all American League ideas for me. Just because of being an American League broadcaster, I haven't really paid too much attention to the National League. Maybe we will at the end of the year and try and poke around a little bit and see what those guys are doing. But rookie of the year, Jordan Alvarez. Go ahead and write the thing down. Put it, engrave it. Whatever they do for that trophy, just put his name on it. Send that thing out. Have the ceremony. You could have the ceremony right now before the end of the season. I don't think you'd get a complaint from one person across the planet on who should be the American League Rookie of the Year. And, of course, our fan base is a little biased, too. But Jordan is going to be the Rookie of the Year. And he's going to do it as a designated hitter. So I'm going to fire this question out for everybody who listens to Bleacher Blums right now as you're riding in your car, running on the treadmill, walking the dog. Just keep in mind that this will be the third DH to win a, an American League Rookie of the Year. Two others have won it. 
So my question to you is, can you name the two other DHs who have won Rookie of the Year in the American League? So hold on to that thought. I'll get back to you at the end of this segment and tell you who those two DHs are. But we're going to come up on Cy Young Award. The one thing I can guarantee you about the Cy Young Award is the guy's going to be wearing an Houston Astros hat because it's between Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole on who wins that American League Cy Young Award. Both of them have phenomenal numbers, and depending on how you split it, you could go Cole's way, you could go Verlander's way. Do you have a choice? Have you looked deep enough into the numbers to have an opinion on that, or are they just both phenomenal enough where you're going to be the co-Cy Young guy? I actually think Garrett would deserve it this year, but I looked at an article and I should have written down the other five people. I, I think Garrett was down in some of those, our favorite, the analytics categories, where they had Garrett like fifth in the Cy Young because of war, I don't know. They had him down. So they had Verlander at number one, and then they had like three guys in between that, and then they had Cole. So I know we're Astros bias on this podcast, but boy, I actually think Cole deserves it. And this goes to the old school, the eye, eyeball test. And I think there is, we've talked about this before as well. There's a little bit of the, you know, Verlander's kind of been there, done that. I think this year with his third no hitter gets him into the Hall of Fame. So he's probably a Hall of Famer, like throw somebody else a bone. Just make sure that bone stays in your clubhouse, right? Don't throw it far away, right? If Cole really is fifth or sixth. So I would like to see Garrett Cole win it, but I would agree with you. And this is trying to be as unbiased as possible. I read an article and I just was like, no, I I think the guy was way off. He had like two or three guys in between the two of them. So if you were going to have somebody else at the top and then have them third and fourth, maybe I could buy that. But I think Verlander with his popularity and the fact that he threw a no-hitter and the fact that he's been consistent and been around, I-, I could see him winning it. I think you're right. It's got to be between Cole and Verlander this year. Yeah, and I think it, it edges towards actually the veteran Verlander just because of the consistency, maybe, if you wanted to go back and do that, because there's an argument to be made for Justin Verlander, in my eyes, just because of the consistency. From day one, he was the best pitcher in the American League, as opposed to the first month might have been a little bit rougher for Garrett Cole. But then if you're on the Garrett Cole side, you argue – Look, this guy got off to a hellacious start, and now look where he's at. So, I mean, he really stepped his game up and started to light up radar guns, strikeout numbers, and innings pitched to catch up to Justin Verlander, and he missed a start. So I don't know if that goes against him a little bit. But if you say he missed the start and then look at the numbers, he still matches up with what Justin Verlander did over two more starts or another start. So that's where you can kind of point to the greatness of Garrett Cole. But for Justin Verlander, it's been over the entire season – and then, like you said, you add in that no-hitter. Does that give him an extra boost as far as signing award winning is concerned? I don't know. But for those other guys that you're talking about that kind of creep into the conversations, I believe it's like Mike Miner, Lance Lynn for uh, the Texas Rangers, and there might have been somebody else. Like Charlie Morton kind of gets mixed in there a little bit. But if you have to start peeling back that onion far enough to where you've got to create a number or a stat to get a guy into a conversation – you're doing too much, and you got to get back to those guys who are really at the forefront, and the only two guys you can talk about are Verlander and Cole. Completely agree, and I saw Mike Miner. I actually saw Mike Miner throw a really nice game against the Astros, but again, I think what comes into the conversation there, and I know you're going to agree with this, is what do we say about Bregman versus Trout? Trout's on a team that's not in the hunt. They're not winning. I mean, Mike Miner can be selfish and go out there and nibble and do his thing, maybe have good defense, and then sometimes the train gets rolling on even on a losing team. I had a season like that where I was like the best pitcher on a losing team. So the kind of the team kind of rallies around that guy. I'm not saying that doesn't affect the way he's pitching or or in a positive manner, but basically they're like, all right, today's our day where we got a chance to win because Mike's on the bump and they kind of give it their all and then they lose the next four games. And then there's a lot less pressure. We continue to talk about high leverage innings. We talk about postseason and destiny and all those things. Mike Miner has none of those responsibilities on his shoulders. And granted, he's pitched awesome. I mean, his numbers are great. I completely agree with you. And we know that we're Astros biased. We try not to be, but obviously we focus on them. We see them. You're in the clubhouse on a daily basis. They poured champagne on your head the other day. But Verlander and Cole, are, are they're the two guys. They, they're high leverage innings that they, they take a lot of responsibility and they're consistent and they get after it on a winning team. Excellent points. And it also kind of brings me to the next category, the most valuable player. It's still the MVP. It's not the MBP, most bestest player in the league. And I think a lot of people around the league are trying to figure out what this MVP award means because I believe it's also down to a two-man race. Obviously, Mike Trout, is he is beyond a generational 
player for me. He is now he's reaching legendary status if he's able to maintain what he's doing because what he's done in the first seven eight years of his career put him into the Lou Gehrig's, the Joe DiMaggio's, the Mickey Mantles, the the Willie Mays. He is arguably the best player. I know this is hard to understand because the game has been around so long. Mike Trout for me is arguably the best player ever, ever. What he's done statistically. He's got the best war numbers. He's the quickest to, you know, home run milestones. He projects to be a guy who surpasses a lot of milestones throughout his big league career. So that being said, we're going to narrow it down to 2019, and we're going to talk a little bit about Alex Bregman and Mike Trout. Mike Trout has all of the big numbers, even though he is on the DL for the rest of, or IL for the rest of the season. Alex Bregman is starting to pass him. But you have to create numbers to give Mike Trout a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt and say that Bregman is chasing him, the OPS numbers and some of the the war numbers. I'm not a big fan of war because I think it's different for Mike Trout playing, playing center field, which is a high, high leverage position, shall we say. But I think that Bregman gets discounted in the war number because he's playing between shortstop and third base, whereas third base, you don't get as many opportunities as you do in center field or at a shortstop. So maybe his war goes up if he's an everyday shortstop. That's where I have an issue with war. But offensively, the war number goes towards Mike Trout. I want Alex Bregman to win the MVP because I am on the most valuable side of the equation, not the most best player in the league because if you went on best player in the league mike trout would have himself probably six or seven mvp awards but i think that writers and people who vote on the most valuable player take into account what this player's done consistently over the season what they've done as far as helping their ball club win and that's where the value sets in for me on alex bregman carlos correa goes down with an injury guess who moved to shortstop alex bregman guess who didn't have a hiccup in his stats when he was going out there alex bregman Guess who's one home run away from hitting 40 home runs on the season? And I believe that is the biggest thing for Alex Bregman. If he can hit that one more home run and put him into that 40 home run category with Mike Trout, who has 45, then Alex Bregman, I think, gains a ton of votes and might possibly overtake Mike Trout in that MVP vote. And I know I'm going to tick off a lot of Left Coast fans, but for me, if Alex Bregman gets to 40 home runs and the Astros have already won the American League West, Alex Bregman's my MVP. You make a solid case. I have a couple of things here. I think I brought it up on air. I know off air we talked about it last time about Frank Catalanato losing the Sally League batting title to a high school teammate of mine. He was out the last month and a half, so six weeks, but he had got the minimum plate appearances to win the batting title. And I remember Frank being bitter about that when I played with him. He's like, man, I lost the batting title to some guy who was on the shelf. I get frustrated. You have daughters in youth sports. They kind of, with club sports and all-star teams, they get the team before the year starts. They're like, oh yeah, she's going to be the all-star catcher and she's going to be the... They forget about, they have to play the game, right? I mean, isn't that uh, isn't that Herm Edwards? You have to play the game. Like, <laughs> You have to play the game. And what happens is Mike Trout is the best player in baseball right now and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And his statistics across the board, year in, year in, year in, year in, year out, year in, all of that are... He's going to bat 300. He's going to hit 40 home runs every year. He's going to play a great center field. He's going to, but there are guys like Bregman, who's going to be a potential MVP candidate every year. And there's like four or five guys every year, Harper and the guys that have all the contracts this year that are going to have better years. And I think that's where the MVP vote should lie. And we've talked about that. Are you helping your team win? Are you on the field on a winning team and helping? And I think there's nothing wrong with separating those variables because Nobody's going to argue that Mike Trout's not the best player in the game, even other players. I don't know how confident Alex Bregman is. Maybe he looks in the mirror, he's like, you're the best player. Like, you know, Mike Trout's nothing. Guys respect other guys' games. We see it in the NBA. We see it in football. We see guys respect good hits. You know, we see guys tip their cap to the defenders when he makes a great play or the hitter will tip his cap to a guy that robs a home run. Anytime you see great athletic feats amongst the best players, very often there's a mutual respect there, but that doesn't mean that somebody doesn't deserve to unseat Mike Trout this year when he's kind of hanging out on a losing team. He's still the best player in the game. That doesn't diminish anything that he's doing, but is he the MVP? Probably not this year based on your argument, and I, and I appreciate that. Here's another thing about Alex Bregman. He makes guys around him better, 
And I think that should be taken into account too. Not to say that Mike Trout doesn't make guys around him better because he's on a different ball club, but would you be able to flip those players and put them on, put Mike Trout on the Astros? Is he going to help them go out and win as many games as possible? If you put Alex Bregman on the Angels, is he going to go out there and help them win as many games as possible? That would probably be the more curious statement. If you flip those guys on the rosters, how would each team end up? And obviously the Astros are going to continue to do what they're doing. But I feel like if you put Alex Bregman on the Angels, he might actually help make them a better ball club all the way around. Who knows what's going on inside the clubhouse? But that's where I kind of like the Alex Bregman type of ball player. Being around him often enough and being able to talk to him is what makes me appreciate him that much more because he's not one of these overwhelming guys where if he walked through the airport, you'd go, hey, there goes an MVP. Whereas Mike Trout, if he walks through it, you're going to go, that guy looks like he could be an MVP because he's built like a linebacker and can smash a ball 500 feet. But I'm an Alex Bregman guy. I want him to get to 40. But again, it's me being greedy, being a Houston Astro employee, so to speak, and being a fan of the game. I like voting for the guy who is on a championship type team because he does bring a lot of attention to his ball club and he gets them into the postseason and you're going to get to watch him a little bit more. Let me close out the segment by saying we all know that you're Astros bias and that's okay. And it's fun because they need the publicity and and it's fun to watch a great team. I think everybody in that clubhouse would agree. Alex Bregman, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, even Jordan, if you get to speak to him. None of this matters if they don't win the World Series. And I think that's what makes them a good team. And I think that's where their focus is. I think they all want the individual awards because it means that they've done something special and their hard work is being rewarded. But I think ultimately, this is a great conversation for our podcast and a great conversation for the fans. I remember the year, and I keep bringing this up, when the Warriors won the most games, they beat the Bulls for the record. And that was the year that they lost the championship to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And they don't care. It almost feels like the the end of the year went down in flames. So hopefully all of these things come to fruition. But as you mentioned with the flooding and the similarity to Harvey, this is hopefully a year that the Astros can use all these guys, the rookie of the year, the potential MVP and the potential Cy Young to win another world championship. Yeah, that's actually a great point. And talking about that clinch where the celebration was going absolutely bonkers, the speech that AJ Hinch gave was phenomenal. The champagne was flowing and the smiles on these guys' faces. But once I turned my microphone off and I actually got to hang out with those guys and have a beer and congratulate them on a great season, every one of them to a man whether they were young or they were old or they were up for an award, every one of them to a man said, isn't winning awesome. So that's where the kind of the Houston Astros kind of really appeal to me. And I enjoy watching them play because there are a lot of individual accolades, but the only way you get those accolades and that kind of attention is going out and winning ball games, And that's what these guys truly understand. I think that's going to wrap it up for us. I know I've got a lot of other stuff to talk about for the Houston Astros, but I think I'm going to put it on the back burner because it's the conversations that we can actually have in a later podcast regarding playoff roster. I want to think a little bit about you know manager of the year. A.J. Hinch is a little underrated for me because of the talent around him, so we'll talk about that maybe in an upcoming podcast. We'll have plenty of time for that. For the time being, we've got to talk a little bit about the support for Bleacher Blums, and it comes to you from Manscaped who is the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. I know everybody loves this advertising, but this is how well the podcast is going that we get to talk about manscaping. And Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And to be honest, I'm out here in Seattle right now, and I brought my travel kit with me, and it's been phenomenal because things get a little cranky down there, and I need to get my mop preserver. I need to clean things up and freshen things up a little bit. And obviously, hair grows all over our bodies the older we get. So Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their own lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so their trimmer won't nick or snag your junk, which is always a good possibility. But you want to minimize the opportunities to do that. So go to manscaped.com and use the discount code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, to get 20% off and to get free shipping on all of their products. We just got our products, Tuttle and I, and it comes in a nice travel kit. And it all bundles up nice and safely to travel so I can take care of my manscaping needs on the road. Tuttle, you got anything to add? I always do. I I was just going to say, as I said before, the one mantra about what goes on in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. There were plenty of guys in our clubhouse that could have used the Manscaped, uh, the Lawnmower 2.0. I will say the same thing I said last time is please, please do not use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your cojones. 
It's just nasty. So go to manscaped.com, use the shipping code B-L-U-M-S, Blums, at manscaped.com. That'll get you 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And with that being said, of course, uh, there's no other way to segue into this segment other than going through that advertisement. It is time now for Waddle Tuttle Say. All righty. The uh, segment today, actually, I've got two baseball segments. The second one hopefully won't be as lighthearted as normal because it's a serious topic. I read an article the other day. I want to share this with you because we continue to talk about other sports, but we're obviously very baseball heavy. I read an article the other day about the most home runs in the league, the most home runs being hit. Twins, Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, A's, Cubs. Do those teams sound familiar? Yes, those are all the teams that are going to be in the postseason with the most home runs. The difference is, and the article did not touch on this, the game has changed. We know in the NBA it's changed, right? It's a three-point game. Guys would rather take a three-pointer than a two-pointer. The analytics are in there. They know that the math works itself out. Football's changed. It used to be the running back was a primary position. We're going to wear you out. We're going to go, you know, we're going to run the ball 20 or 30 times right down your throat and see if you can handle it for the longevity of the game. Now it's a spread offense. That's what high schools do. That's what colleges do. And now that's what the NFL is adapting to. Look, we already have talked about MLB buying Rawlings baseball and Rawlings baseball is having lower seams and more tightened core on the baseball. And the balls are flying out of the park at a rate greater than the steroid era in which I played. But these are the teams that are all in the playoffs. They've adapted. They've got the best players, the best hitters, and they've adapted to the style of play. So they're all going to the playoffs. The problem is the article didn't touch on this, and we kind of touched on this last podcast. Pitching will still rule the day. Are you built for the regular season or the postseason? That's what I'm talking about. The Dodgers are raking. The Yankees hit monster shots out of their place. We know the Astros can hit a ton of home runs. The Twins have five dudes I've never heard of with 30-plus home runs. Five guys. Can you name any of the guys on the Twins? They're in the American League. You probably played them. Do you know all five of the guys that have 30 home runs on their team? No. Give me one or two. Nelson Cruz and the one guy who I had no idea was Mitch Garver? But they have five guys. We should look them up, right? I, I, I guess the whole point of not looking them up is we don't need to give them publicity on right now because that's the point, of the, that's the point I'm making. There's five guys on the Twins that have 30-plus home runs. And, of course, Nelson Cruz hits 40 home runs on any team that he's on. So it doesn't matter if he's on the Orioles or the Rangers or the Mariners or the Twins. But that's amazing. So the home run ball, we know, is kind of where baseball is. My point, ultimately, is are you built for the regular or postseason? I still say pitching and defense win championships. We've already touched on the Astros staff. You added Granke, but you have Cole, Verlander, Granke at the top of that staff. The Yankees are now getting Severino back, who looks pretty good, but they kind of have one or two starters. The Dodgers I like, and this is why the Dodgers and the Astros are the favorites for the World Series. The Dodgers have three or four really good starters. They have Ryu, they have Bueller, of course they have Clayton Kershaw, and I know Rich Hill maybe went back on the IL. He had come back and then he tweaked his knee, but you know they're going to have three or four really, really good starters. We need Miley to straighten up. I say we, like I'm in the biased Astros bandwagon here. Those are the teams that are in. The A's, the young crazy A's, they can hit. They can hit a fastball like nobody's business. But are they built for the postseason? I guess I wanted to throw that out there saying, look, the game has changed for the regular season in the NBA, the NFL, and certainly in Major League Baseball. But if you had to put me in a closet and let me out when I was right. I would just say that pitching is still going to rule the day in the playoffs. What do you think, Plummer? I completely agree. And I'm actually stoked that you brought that up because a lot of people are noticing the home run. But I also love the fact that you stated that a lot of those teams that you just rattle off who are leading the Major League Baseball in home runs are playoff contenders if they haven't clinched already. They're already in the playoffs. So that's going to be a big issue for pitching going into the playoffs. But the one thing I do want to point out about all of those teams is the Astros strike out the least. And that's probably one of the more unique combinations, I think, in all of baseball is the, the ability to go out there and slug the baseball at the rate that they do and hit the ball out of the ballpark 
They're a high on base percentage team, but they don't strike out. They've got the highest two strike batting average all across the major leagues. So that's where they kind of do a better job in offsetting what Tuttle is talking about as far as the pitching winning. Because I agree too, pitching will beat good offenses. And we saw it in the postseason in 2017. We saw it in 2018 where the Astros were a very good offense, but the Boston pitching staff absolutely shoved against the Astros offense. And they eventually went out there and won the World Series, beating the Los Angeles Dodgers again, suppressing their offense, a high-powered offense with good pitching. So you've got to have those good starting rotations to be able to put those guys down. And then you've got to have a back into the bullpen to put them away. But the one number I would actually ask a lot of people out there listening to this podcast, watching baseball, as glorious as the home runs are, check out some of the strikeout numbers on the Yankees, on the Oakland A's, on the Dodgers, and see where they stand on that because that's how they compete against good pitching is being able to put the ball in play with two strikes and being able to work counts and get on base so that they can hit that one big three-run home run to really put a dagger through some of these teams' hearts. And that's where the Astros set up too is that they don't strike out as an offense, but they've also got a high-powered pitching staff that leads the league in strikeouts. Blummer, you always say this to me. That's why you're on the podcast, to to add the depth there, right? I believe it. That's right. But but again, that's ultimately what we've talked about very consistently. This is a team game. This is If you're in the NFL, this is offense, defense, and special teams. You have pitching, defense, obviously. Pitching and defense is one, I guess. Then you have hitting and you have, I guess that's it, isn't that? Pitching, defense, and hitting. Huh, there, that's all three. But I guess my point is, you got to put all that stuff together to be the best team. And obviously the Astros have that. The Dodgers are probably close second. I just looked up another stat for it's Garver, but I looked up another stat for the Twins. They have seven guys with 20 home runs. If Marwin Gonzalez gets there or Polanco gets there, they would have nine guys. Marwin has 15 and the shortstop has 19 or 18. So they could have they could have nine guys with twenty home runs if they have a good week what? at the end. Of the, I mean that has a lot more to do with target field as well. I guess I haven't been up there in the summer, but maybe that's a component as well. It's a good place to hit, but to have that many guys, it, it's interesting. You know, ten to fifteen home run guys are awesome, but the twenty plus is really kind of insane to think about. Yeah, especially seven guys that already have it. It must be their manager, Rocco Baldelli, is doing a great job. He's going to be up for manager of the year, but we'll talk about that later. So the next topic I have is. This was on Twitter, folks. Ben and Woods, the local San Diego radio, when they fired Andy Green the other day, they put out a little poll and said, who would you like to be the Astros or the, excuse me, the Padres next manager? I said, Bruce Bochy. Wouldn't that be great? Bochy had his whole retirement thing here, but there is a campaign for Blummer 27 at Blummer 27 to be the next manager of the Padres. So I'm bringing that up in what'll Tuttle say. I think that's a great idea. Selfishly, do I want the Blum family to move back to the left coast? I do. They would live in San Diego, Orange County again, and we could just hang out, golf, and do our podcast six days a week. Well, I guess if you were the manager, we'd probably have to pare that down a little bit. Anyway, so Blummer, what are your thoughts about being the next manager of the Padres? And do you think that was a serious tweet or is this just fodder for Twitter? Um, I'm not sure. It, it kind of feels like it'd be fodder for Twitter to begin with, but Selfishly, I hope that I would love the opportunity just to be even considered or interview for one of those jobs because I have so much respect for what those guys are going out and doing. I, I love the idea, and I, I, to be brutally honest, I'm humbled by the fact that anybody would even think about throwing my name out there because that is a high profile job, it's a high stress job. There would be a lot involved, and in talking with you know, I know Andy Green, I know obviously, I know AJ Hinch pretty good, so I've got a the resources abound for me to be able to pick guys' brains and understand what's going on because it is a unique situation. But I also love the fact that San Diego is in a pretty good position with as far as money they're able to spend. I think they might be able to kind of kick the tires on signing a guy like Garrett Cole, who would be a really good addition to that ball club. It's a tough National League Western division. Manny Ramirez, Tatis is an electric talent. They've got some pieces around there that would make it highly appealing. And obviously, San Diego is a place that is near and dear to my heart because growing up in Southern California and then getting to play for them is awesome. But dude, full disclosure, if my phone rang right now and they said, hey, Jeff, we want an interview, 
you better damn well believe my bags would be packed. And no offense to everybody in Houston because I love my job, but I would go and interview for that job in a heartbeat. As you should. And I'm hoping you met Manny Machado, not Manny Ramirez, based on... Oh, uh, my bad, my bad. <laughs> that's okay, because I don't think Manny Ramirez is coming back. Uh, his his time has come and gone, even though he's a Hall of Famer. I think that's great that you said that, and I, w- I, I would agree with you. I We've talked about six, six degrees of separation. Aaron Boone was a roommate of mine. Dave Roberts was a teammate of mine. Uh, you know Andy Green, you know AJ Hinch. I mean, there's and you know Dave Roberts as well. I mean, you know all these guys. They would certainly be a wealth of knowledge. And I think to your point, it's maybe not something you considered before, but then you realize, I think when you started broadcasting and then you got into this podcast, that baseball is near and dear to our hearts, and it's something that is kind of in your, it's in your DNA, and it might be a, a great opportunity. So that gave me a smile when I saw it on Twitter, and I thought, hey. What better place to bring it up? Because I know you wouldn't bring it up on the Bleacher Blums podcast. Oh, you're the best total. And it, it's awesome to even have the thought be be a thought and be able to have the conversation. So have a lot of fun with that one at, at home when you're listening to this podcast, because there are going to be opportunities out there. There's already the Padres have fired Andy Green. Ned Yost for the Royals is retiring at the end of the season. And also, like Tuttle pointed out, Bruce Bochy is going to be retiring at the end of the season. So the San Francisco Giants will be looking for a manager, and I believe there will be six or seven more opportunities out there. It was kind of interesting to see that Don Mattingly is going back to Miami for whatever reason. My gosh, there's going to be opportunities out there. And just to be even, even if it's for fodder or whatever, to be considered or thought about in that community is a fantastic thing. So I really appreciate the Ben and Woods has been great to me. The city of San Diego has been phenomenal to me. But what a fun, fun thing to think about because I wonder who. I don't know if there, there needs to be pedigree for a pitching coach, but man, I know a guy. Hey, you do. Great job on what old Tuttle's say. And we are going to talk a little bit about how we got our website up. It's been done by Just Geek It Solutions. They're an IT and computer repair company located here in Houston, Texas. They have over 40 years of experience in providing excellent customer service. Just Geek It Solutions provides same-day service for those seeking computer repair, server repair, network service, laptop repair service, virus removal, and they will build custom computers for you. They are a business that handles other business clients, but they also handle residential customers as well, much like Tuttle and I, who are trying to start up our business and get things going. They have helped us with our website. Go and see why they are the best computer repair company in Houston. Call 281-826-4357, or you can visit them on the web at JustGeekItSolutions.com. They've been phenomenal in helping Tuttle and I get our website up, BleacherBlums.com, and you can see some of their work. But we are moving on. It's time for Blum and Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blums. Full of shit, man. And on Blum and Blummer, I've got a couple of quick topics. I'm not sure how deep we want to get into it, but uh, the first thing I want to say is my comment last year that the season should have ended on September 15th. Guess how many complaints I got on that, Tuttle? Zero. You are absolutely correct, my man. Not one person has complained about that, which is kind of interesting to me because I've expected a little bit of pushback from some of the traditionalists out there. But I said it should have ended on September 15th. We'd be maybe a week and a half into the playoffs right now and having a good time talking about playoff baseball. Weather would be nice. Coverage would be great competing with the NFL. But I appreciate the fact that nobody complained about that, or maybe we'll get some complaints now. Second thing I want to talk about is the national broadcast. A lot of people complain about, and and it's not just in Houston. I appreciate and love the fact that we get so many responses on Twitter saying it sucks when the team goes national because they don't get their local broadcasters. But I want to kind of zoom out a little bit and get a higher, higher look at the whole situation. And I believe that if you went to each region and regional network who covers a particular baseball team, you would get the same complaint because the local broadcasters are a part of the community. They know the team the best. They've been covering them for 150 plus games. So when you go national and your team goes to the playoffs, you lose the the local broadcast. And that's where a lot of the complaints come in. And maybe it's because you don't like the play-by-play guy that goes nationally or the color commentator. But I think that those national broadcasts should bring in a local guy, whether it be in the booth, 
on the sideline or doing a pre and post game show, just so you can get a little bit of the local flavor in there. Because a lot of the national broadcasts already have predetermined storylines and productions that they're talking about. And yes, they are, whether they want to believe it or not. And going back to Tuttle's point earlier in the podcast about national exposure, a lot of these national TV broadcasts of baseball will be heavy on the bigger cities and stay away from some of the locals. So that's where I think the local broadcasters need to be a little more involved. And I'm not saying from this, for me personally, I should be the guy. Bring in Todd Callis, you know, take Julia Morales or take some, you know, bring somebody from the local broadcast to give some of the local flavor and put a lot of these things in context. And if it turns into an argument or it turns into a great conversation, I think that that would really make some of these national broadcasts that much better. I completely agree, of course. And think about what they do even during the season on like ESPN game of the uh, Sunday night game of the week, where in the fifth inning, they bring in somebody, they'll bring in, oh, the president of the Red Sox when the Red Sox Yankees are playing. Oh, they'll bring in Pedro Martinez into the booth. Like, Pedro, what was it like? You know, you, you pitch against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. They're always trying to add like an element, some sort of depth to the, the broadcast. What better way to do that? Then with local people that have been around the team all year, I looked at Julia's Twitter feed this week and Julia was wearing the orange playoff clincher t-shirt soaked in champagne and the team trusts you guys. They trust you to be professional with your information. They trust you because they know you've been around the team and that you have some skin in the game. I think typically what we see with the national broadcast as well is they're just rehashing things. They just continue to rehash the same kind of stuff. Maybe something you did in game 20 or 25. If we have to talk about Verlander's wife and their newborn kid and what's it like traveling with the kid and putting earphones on him or something like that. It's like, you know what, that's kind of over and done with. And I know there's some celebrity there, but it's kind of like we really want to know what makes the Astros tick. And I think not a better way to do it then have some local flavor. And as you said, TK or Julia or anybody that's been around the team, yourself, I think that would be a welcome addition. That's a great idea. And the fan perspective, I love that Tuttle is watching these games and watching them with a purpose. Obviously, we're fans of baseball, but that's a great idea. Sometimes they have a tendency to kind of look at an aspect of the game that really doesn't have an impact on what's happening on the field. And a lot of what Julia, Todd, and local broadcasters see is what on a daily basis, what impacts possibly a playoff game or why a guy might be used in a certain situation or why a roster move was made in a playoff situation. So that's where I think getting in depth in the game, and I agree with Tuttle, sometimes they do take a little more of a broad look at some of these games as opposed to really narrowing down on on situationally why this guy's in that situation. Whereas you could go to that local person and say, this is an interesting spot for a Josh James to be in. And Julia could step up and say, well, funny you should say that because he was kind of groomed the last month of the season to be in this high leverage situation and therefore he's in. Yeah. And I think the other point there is typically, especially with the national guys, whether it be, I don't know, Joe Buck and then the Ron Darling and guys like that. This guy's batting 185 against left-handers. You know, why would they pinch hit him in this situation? And that's when exactly what you said, or Josh James has zero saves on the season. Or he has one save. Why are they bringing him in in a save situation? Well, interesting you should say that because in the last month, these are the kind of situations they brought him into. He's throwing 97. He's healthy. He's added some depth to his slider. All of those things add to the broadcast. And as you said, I think it would just make it more of an interesting watch. You know, if you're at a sports bar and the TV's on mute, then nobody really cares. But I certainly, I know the Astros fans would appreciate that rather than having a rehashed kind of, high level uh high level opinion where they are strictly looking at statistics and and maybe just matchups numbers versus numbers yep and that's going to do it well no it's not going to do it for blum and blummer because i forgot we have a trivia question i need to give you guys the answer to i asked you after we know that rookie of the year is going to go to jordan alvarez i asked what other two players won the american league rookie of the year as a designated hitter tuttle do you have any ideas who they might be I do not. Somebody said it was 1994, the article I read. 1994 was the last one, and I should know it. Maybe, see, the problem is they were in the National League, but Bagwell would be my guy. (laughs) He won Rookie of the Year, but he was a first baseman. Am I correct? Yes, but you are correct in the year. The American League Rookie of the Year was a DH in 1994. Yeah, and I was playing. 
So I should know. <laughs> I do yeah, not know. When I say that, that's the cool thing about these trivia questions too. Even though you don't know the name right off the top of your head, you'll know it as soon as I say it. Because in 1994, the first American League designated hitter to win Rookie of the Year, Bob the Hammer Hamlin. Oh, yeah. Bob Hamlin. Yeah. Yep. I still wouldn't have got that though. Yeah, me neither. And that's why I had to look it up and somebody brought it to my attention. The interesting thing, and this was probably a Freudian slip for me earlier in the podcast when I was talking about managing Manny Ramirez for the San Diego Padres. Guess who was in second place in Rookie of the Year voting in 1994? Manny Ramirez. Boom. There you go. Manny Ramirez was the runner up in 1994. So Bob Hamlin, a tr true DH as a rookie, won Rookie of the Year in 1994. He hit 24 home runs, had 65 RBIs. So the second designated hitter, and this is kind of a trick question because technically this guy was a designated hitter, but he was also, and this will probably give it away, he was a two-way player. Who was the second DH to win Rookie of the Year? Rick Ankiel? Nope. It was, it was last year, 2018. Shohei Otani. He hit 22 home runs, 61 RBIs, but he also had a 331 ERA. So Jordan will be the third. The two previous, Bob Hamlin, Shohei Otani. Nice. See, look yeah. at that. We actually look up stuff and we know stuff. That's going to do it for us on Bleacher Blums. What do you got, Tuttle? So, Blummer, this will wrap it up. I just want to tease a new segment. We're going to have a new segment on this podcast. It also depends on the days we record it, but with football season in full swing, we weren't able to record last Thursday, so today's Tuesday, but I had four games for you. So, Tuttle's going to have a new segment called Don't Bet On It. We're going to have a couple college games and a couple pro games. Don't bet on it. Use your Monopoly money, folks, because I'm not going to guarantee winners. I'm just going to give you some games and my thoughts on those picks. The other thing, Blummer, that we didn't touch on this whole time is our fantasy football team. We crushed everybody this week. We're 3-0, co-GMs. So we're a little nervous. So I had Saquon Barkley on my other fantasy team. We happen to play Saquon this week, so he's going to be out a little bit. So I got to fill that hole. But... We lost Edelman and T.Y. Hilton, but it looks like Edelman's day-to-day -day rib injury. It looks like he'll be back this next week, and then Hilton may be out maybe one week, but we can fill Josh Jacobs in there and uh, and see how it goes. So, uh, so far, so good in this new league. These guys are going to hate us if we keep this winning streak up. What are your thoughts about fantasy football? I know you were in the booth during most of the games. No, it was a lot of fun for me, and it was a lot of fun to watch us light up that scoreboard. I think we got over 150 points of all of our guys just absolutely going bonkers out there. Keenan Allen had a great game against the Texans, and what's beautiful about that is that Keenan racks up the points and the Texans win. So win-win <laughs> in that situation as far as uh, we're, I'm concerned. But uh, I can't wait for the don't bet on it because that's going to be a learning experience for me, and I'm kind of excited to see how that run goes. Just another segment, another layer of the Bleacher Blums podcast that we're able to bring to you. But fantasy football, it'll be interesting. I think, that, you know, I love the fact that we had the flex position and that's kind of where we had T.Y. Hilton mixed in and we can kind of bring Josh uh, Jacobs in there. Darren Waller has been going off as far as tight end too. But uh, that's going to do it for Bleacher Blums. We always finish with some first responder talk. Tuttle, you got anything for me? I don't. I just, uh, like I said, I wanted to tease that new segment and uh, wanted to, you, you said we had a good story about first responders. We always want to make a take the time to give a shout out to the first responders and military that provide safety for us. They go into harm's way when we are going the other direction. Like I said, they're greatly appreciated and we want to give them a shout out. And uh, Jeff has a story about that. Yeah, I always appreciate the military, but my, my end of Bleacher Blums is going to be a story about first responders that I, I didn't get to witness firsthand, but I was in the building for this and it was kind of a frightening night. Friday night in the press level for the Houston Astros broadcast teams and the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim broadcast teams because we actually have very good relationships between the Angels and Astros broadcast teams, and we get to know them pretty well, obviously, because we play them 19 times a year. But radio color commentator Mark Langston, ex-Major League Baseball pitcher for the Seattle Mariners and the Angels, had a heart attack in the booth. And it was kind of a rough start to the ball game for a lot of us because there was such a commotion on the broadcast level. And what's interesting about this story is that before the game, there's there's certain preparation that uh, we do before games. A lot of it has to do with talking with other broadcasters, seeing how the other team is going, and we share a lot of information. And then usually about 15 minutes before we go on air, truth be told, you've got to go to the restroom and make sure you're cleaned out and ready for the ball game so you don't have any interruptions. And that's where I saw Mark Langston. And I said, Mark, have a great game. He said the same. And that was around, you know, 645. And at 717, he was uh, in his booth and had a heart attack and went down. And unfortunately, 
the media dining is right behind the broadcast booths, and there were two Houston Police Department commanders in there, Paul Fullis and Darren Edwards, who rushed to the scene. And if it was not for them giving Mark Langston CPR, Mark Langston probably wouldn't be here, and we would be talking about uh, Mark Langston in the past tense. But fortunately for Paul Fullis, commander, and Darren Edwards, a commander in the Houston Police Department, Mark Langston is alive. And you can go to the HPD Twitter account and see a picture of Mark Langston with his arms around both those guys, thanking them for keeping him alive. And also, we got to give a little bit of love to the uh, medical community in Houston. They do a phenomenal job, obviously, all the way around. But they, that's where Mark Langston has been for the last week, recovering from this. And hopefully, Mark gets to go home. So our thoughts and prayers are with Mark Langston, the Angels family. But a great big shout out. Unbelievable job by those guys, literally bringing him back to life and saving his life. Paul Fullis and Darren Edwards of HPD. Can't get any better than that, Plummer. Can't get any better than that. Will we get a chance to see Langston in uh, Anaheim this week, or is he going to have a couple weeks off? Um, I'm not sure, but I, I would imagine that if he's healthy enough and gets back to Anaheim, that he will make an appearance. I don't know if he's going to be able to work, but I truly hope that he is out there so we can get our hands on him, give him a big hug, and appreciate him for still being around. That's an awesome story. And that's going to do it for Bleacher Blums. Tuttle tells you every time. Don't bet on it, folks. And of course, I've always got you. I've got to be telling you guys, get after it. Have a great week. And, but most of all, believe it. When you're single doubt And around It filters through